Welcome all to the MPO Sports Podcast, episode number two. This is Tim. I'm joined by Aaron, Jeremy, and we discuss all things sport. Just before we get into the episode, I want to make a plug for our editor, Josh Watson, and the artist that provides the music for our uh, intro and outro, Zaggy2. Anyway, how's things been, boys? Yeah, yeah, good, guys. Yeah, yeah, just uh, getting, along, getting along here with the family and uh, going to work and doing, doing what we do. Not much else to be done at this day and age. What about yourself, Woody? Um, no, I'm just happy that sport's coming back, to be honest. There's been not much going on for a long time and the ball's starting to roll and a few things are starting to come back now. So um, good times for all sports fans ahead, I think. Sounds like it. And that sounds like a good intro to our first discussion, which is the return of sports. And um, that's pretty much Australia-based and worldwide. So um, throw away to you, Jez. Start it off. Well... Well, there's a, there are there are there are one or two sports. Well, no one, well one league, not sport, one league that has already commenced. That would be the Bundesliga. But would I be right in saying that's the only one so far? That would be correct um, as far as I know. As far sports. as the world game, as far as the world game, that's pretty correct. It's a, 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 like a ball sport league. That's I, I do believe that's the only one that started so far. Right, as far as the major ones go, I think that's correct. There's been mm. Korean baseball going on for a couple of weeks, but I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that really knows what's going on there. Anyway, <laughs> that's a fair call too. So we've also got the uh, EPL, the NBA, the AFL, and the NRL. Um, well, they're they're very close to kicking off. They've um, they've already come up with dates. And the NRL, well, I'll tell you actually, what, the, NRL, the NRL is actually kicking off as we speak. Isn't well, I've just had a look at just had a look now. It's, it's currently half time in the first game back. So the the Eels are twelve six up against the Broncos. So last time they met, the Eels won in the qualifying final fifty eight nil. So the Broncos are in a bit better shape than that at the minute. What were there? Sounds and, like uh, it. What, what other sports? And also, uh, MB, there's NBA. Well, We'll briefly touch on NBA, but the AFL is due back when, Tim? Uh, the AFL's due back in a, it was approximately 20 days a couple of days ago. So it must be just under three weeks, which would be, let me think, um, it'd be three, week, three Saturdays away, I reckon. Yeah, so they've locked in Richmond and Collingwood to kick that off again, I think. So I think it's the 11th of June. That they've yeah. got penciled in for that. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, so that, that's, that's two weeks, exactly two weeks two from weeks today. From oh, well, there you go. I, I um, actually overstated the uh, length of time. It's just been such a long wait. So I guess it's pretty easy to do. Um, what, what do you guys think about the way they're going to just bring out, what is it, about four games at a time, three or four games at a time each time they do the draw? Well, they have to. I mean... We can't, we can't forecast much more than that at the moment, I don't think. Just There's no guarantees that we're going to get through the four games anyway. Anything could happen. Um, and it's, I, I think they're, they're right to just go in four-week blocks. I, think, I, I, don't, I don't think they really have any other choice. Yeah, and, and look, the, the one thing is the way the season's going to run, it's going to be extremely difficult to keep your momentum for tanking, isn't it? So that would probably eliminate clubs like Melbourne with their history of tanking. 
to be able um, to do such things? What do you guys think? Um, do you think teams are going to have a fed income crack or we're going to see a bit of tanking this year? Well, they won't have as many opportunities to tank, being, being that there's only 17 games in AFL season. Are we, are, we, are we sure about the NRL? Do we know how many games they're looking at playing? I well, know it's less. I'm actually not sure what they're doing, but look, let's just be happy that it's back for now and hopefully it can stay back for a while. Well, as a friend of mine said the other day, um, or even today it would have been, um, do the NRL even know what they're doing? Well, they don't. They haven't generally had a plan in their entire existence. So, thinking they have a plan about what's going to happen now, I'd uh, I'd be hard pressed to think so. Very true. What What do you think about the potential um, formats for the NBA coming back? Well, there's a couple, Aaron, isn't there that uh, that we had our eye across? There is. I'm actually not opposed to either of them. I think they've both got merit. Um, what I like about what the the proposals though is that neither of them are split up into conferences. It's just going to be your your top teams versus your top teams. So I think that's going to make a a better system. But I don't think American sports fans will get behind it too much because they're generally stuck in their ways. But which one do you think's got got the better appeal, Jez? Um, I don't mind the idea of having. 20 teams left and having, say, groups of five, say four groups of five, which is another one floated about. It means the teams that uh, the teams that have no chance of making the playoffs don't have to come back for no reason, basically. So, so there's 20 teams left. Whoever was in contention, they still get to have a go. So I think you play each team in your, uh, in your division t- uh, twice. Yeah, so they'll t- split up into four, four groups of five. And play each other twice. And and then, yeah, I think the top two of each each group go through and then they go to their traditional final eight system. And I think they'll go to the seven-game series from there. Yeah. What what they're going to do is uh, pick four teams to be um, like the number one team in the pot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So is that going to be the top two from each conference? Uh, Yeah, I think, I believe so. If you look at the records now, the top four records are... Uh, Milwaukee, oh, LA, Milwaukee, LA, uh, the Toronto Raptors, and the Clippers. So there's two from each there. Okay. So Look, as long as as long as LeBron gets gets the uh, you know pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I'm happy. I don't care what format they go with. Quite frankly, as a Lakers supporter. Well, that that begs the question: will, will any of these, in any of these premierships or championships, have a like a little asterisk put next to them? I personally don't, I don't think, think they will. No. Because if you look at, um, I think it was the first the first championship LeBron won at the Heat. That was, um, that was after the lockout. So they only played 64 regular season games there anyway. And I don't think anyone's really too concerned about putting an asterisk next to that or devaluing it. I'm sure the um, MJ fanboys that actually continually hurl abuse towards the, Lebr- the LeBron legacy will put an asterisk next to it, though. I'm quite sure if the Lakers were the successful team. Well, I don't believe there should be anyway. They're all going to fight as hard as each other and the best team in the end is end up going to end up winning it. So, um, and, and also, too, Jez, there's the oh. argument... Sorry, I was going to say, there's the argument that um, 
if they play one of these modified formats compared to what they usually play, you could actually have an actual tighter, you know, more competitive final series because you've actually got the best two teams, not the best of the East and the best of the West. Yeah, that 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 way is good, and you'll end up having um, the showcase being the NBA finals. If you end up having the two best teams in that, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's a good good idea too, because you look at that that group system that we discussed before. But the other option is just um, you just pick your your top sixteen teams and seed them accordingly to their current standings. So as it would stand at the moment, anyway, that would work out that there's eight teams from the east and eight teams from the west, anyway. But under either system where it's not conference-based, imagine if you got to the finals and you had a seven-game final series all at the Staples Centre, Clippers versus Lakers. That would be massive. Yeah, yeah. And the, I reckon the NBA would love that because their, their only revenue at this time would be TV dollars. And that's, and, oh, absolutely. And, but yeah. you chuck in the Lakers and um, Clippers, seven games at Staples Centre, it's probably not going to get any bigger than that. And that might be part of the um, NBA's thinking to maybe try and get that by design. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, I'm just looking at um, what else we've got to discuss in this segment. And um, I think we better have a quick chat about how we see the EPL coming back and how we see that playing out. Because we've obviously got the Liverpool factor. With We know they're probably the dead set, won the title. However, there's a blanket over championship spots and there's the blanket over relegation. So what's going on there, guys? Well, would, there, would, there, would it be a too radical idea um, to maybe just say, we won't relegate anybody this season? But will you still promote from the championship? Well... Are they going to just resume the Premier League or are they going to resume the Championship as well? I think you'd have to do it all, wouldn't you? Yeah. Or are you just going to finish out the Premier League season, call the other season, the lower leagues null and void, and just run next season with the same 20 teams? But then that's unfair to teams like Leeds who have actually been pushing up from the Championship to make it back to the Premier League for a long time. For sure. Yeah, um, what was the other then? So the NRL, the AFL, Bundesliga has already got some cardboard cutouts of fans in there. Well, they have, yeah. So they've played, they've played three games each now, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and so far, so good for them, is it? Well, for Bayern Munich as well, they've started... They, they, um, they were on top when um, play was stopped. And they've started back with three wins straight away as well. So they're in good shape there. Um, Dortmund are still still in the mix as well. They've had a, I think a couple won. of wins and they're only... Yeah. yeah, their only loss was to Bayern Munich. So they beat Schalke 4-0 in the first weekend. And then they beat Wolfsburg 2-0 last weekend and lost 1-0 to Bayern Munich just last night. Mm, all right, well... It sounds like they're up and running, so we'll have to stay tuned week in, week out with that one. It's time now to move on, where we're going to have a quick chat around a bit of NFL and the Prescott situation and the Newton situation. So uh, throw away, Jez. Oh, well, uh, well, where do I start with Dak? Um, he's, uh, what would you call him? He's probably a mid-tier quarterback, is he? 
And, uh, I would say so. Yeah, he's and he's a, what about the Dallas Cowboys who who are who are let's be honest, they're a big club. Oh, they're no, oh they'd they're, be the biggest. Yeah, the, yeah, one of the biggest sports organisations in the world, I think. I was going to um, say you ask someone over here who plays NFL and they say Cowboys, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're very recognisable. He's their quarterback. I wouldn't call him one of the best, but uh, he seems to believe that he is. And um, he wants he wants uh, quite a lot of money from them, which, uh, which the Cowboys, quite rightly, are not willing to part with. Um, I think if, I, if I'm not, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he, wa- he wanted them to give him 45 million bucks in his last year of his contract, a five-year contract. I think the, I think the contract was going to be about 175 million all up. And yeah, that's I, correct. I, so thirty-five no, million for the first four, and then yeah. forty-five millions for the last one. There's no quarterback in the league getting paid that, even the best. No, that's right. And he said all along, he just wants to be paid what he's worth, and that's fair enough because he's he's been on a rookie contract the whole time. So he comes through the same draft class as Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, and they signed new deals pretty quickly. So and he's been stuck on his rookie contract that whole time. But he's been saying that he wants to be paid what he's worth, and now he's asking to be paid the highest amount of money of any quarterback. So what he's worth to me is a bit, at least ten million less than what he's asking, because I could think of ten to twelve quarterbacks that are better than him. There's even a, there's even a backup quarterback on his own team, which if you slotted him in, the team wouldn't go that terrible. Well, Andy Dalton, I rate him. He he was we discussed this last time. He um has been at the Bengals. No one's really had success there, but he took them to the playoffs. And I honestly don't think that there's much difference in terms of ability between Prescott and Dalton. So if you can if you can play Andy Dalton for seven million dollars and get the same output as you would for Dak Prescott, why would you give him twenty eight million dollars a year more? Exactly. Why wouldn't you sp- try and spend your money elsewhere and get a more rounded team? Oh, look, they they could they could just play out the season with Dalton, couldn't they? I don't think they will. No yeah. one's going to pay Dak the money he wants, but the Cowboys are going to go closest. They may they may well have given him this contract. They may well have given it to him had they had they not already paid Zeke. Oh, that's that's fair, and they've paid Amari Cooper big money as well. But the thing that's made Prescott lose his leverage is when they signed Andy Dalton. Like that yeah. put the ball, the ball in um, the Cowboys' court. Then, so they're calling the shots now, which isn't the way that Prescott wanted it to play out. When the, when you're asking for the amount, and pretty much everybody in the country, and the and, and around the world is saying, "Come on, mate, please." It's not right. There's, yeah, there's got to be something there, doesn't there? No, yeah. that's right. All right, guys. Um, I think that's enough on Prescott. What about Newton? What's going on there? I've got him listed as homeless. Can you add to that, please, guys? Uh, that would be correct. Season homeless. Um, he may start the He's... season, but I don't think I don't think it'll be for long. Things happen in the NFL. Players get injured. Um, they try to switch quarterbacks. Teams happen all the time. So I call. I'm going to call Newton waiting in the wings. Oh, he'll get picked up somewhere, but every, every franchise is set on their starting quarterback, I would have thought by now. 
but the only potential landing spot that I see for him where he can become a starter is at Jacksonville. Outside of that, like, he, he can't get a starting spot anywhere else. And I don't yeah. think he's going to settle for being a backup. I don't think they're. I don't think they're all in them into. I think they're into him because they have to be. Yeah, I think they've just taken a flyer on him this year. Well, they've moved on Foles. Yeah. Um, Minchu's the only option they've got now, and that's why I think Newton might be a late signing for them. Yeah, it's a real, real shame for Jacksonville. They had a really, really, really good defense, and um, it's a bit of a shame that they were a better team with Blake Bortles than, than they are now. <laughs> but it's a, yeah, as you said, their defense was good, but then Jalen Ramsey up and left, and yeah, yeah, they lost some names. All right, moving on, Tim. Yes, um, now the big thing we haven't discussed yet so far in our two podcasts. Well, this one being number two. Um, is sports entertainment and how they're managing zero crowds. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, we're, uh, Tim and I can confess to wrestling tragics, aren't we? So we're, we're going to have to... Uh, so we're going to have to talk about this on the point at some point. Um, I did notice... I watched WWE Raw today. Okay. I watched, the, watched highlights of it. And they actually had a crowd in there. I'm not sure who they were, or if they were randoms or anything like that. But they actually had a crowd in there. They were sta- the crowd was standing, and they were and they were just standing in spots where they were supposed to be. So they were socially distanced apart from each other. It was only it was only a handful of people, but they but they actually tried to get a crowd, tried to get some atmosphere in no. in, in which is which is that which was actually a, quite a fair deal better than having nobody there. Jeremy, is Vinnie Mac stealing ideas from the other product that's maybe... Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, what, what did AEW have? They had the other wrestlers out there or something, didn't they? Yeah, so, so what the AEW have done, um, apart from their storylines going back to late 90s, early 2000s, which I think is actually what a lot of um, wrestling fans like versus what's going on at the moment in the WWE... But what they've done since they've had no crowds is um, a lot of the wrestlers, quite often the ones that don't wrestle on Dynamite, that might wrestle on Dark, they um, actually have them in like a fight club situation where they're, um, you know, they all interact during the match, but they're, you know, obviously social distanced, but it's more like a fight club. So, of course, the um, baby face gets thrown out of the ring towards you know, the um, badass guys. And they yeah, might give them a bit of treatment while the ref's not looking, um, you know, or vice versa. Um, and I think that's really worked. But I also do think what's helped them sell it, even though there's been no crowds, is, and I put a lot of it down to this one man, actually, is I believe the Jericho factor has had a lot to liven it up because they also have utilised Jericho in the commentary box when JR was unable to travel with the restrictions. And... Well, let's- that guy is a talent. Let's 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 face it. AEW is just basically a group of people who um, who want to do who want to do wrestling the way they want to do it. And uh, within the confines of the WWE, they weren't allowed to do that because Vinnie Mac is very stringent with with scripts and whatnot. Um, they were let. So they literally got that. They literally got that company together and said, "Look, 
we can do wrestling the way we want to do it now. Um, and and uh, you see a bunch of blokes that they're out there. They're contributing to their own to their uh, to their own creative, if you know what I mean. They're not they're not told what they are, or they're not they, they you know so they come in with their real names. Um, they're not told what they are. They're not told what to say. Um, and it, it makes for a more um, it makes for a more wholesome product. Well, I think it brings out more charisma in the wrestlers because yeah. they have ownership on the storylines. <clears throat> they seem to be a lot more driven to deliver it. Um, I did listen to the uh, podcast that Jericho does weekly or thereabouts, and he, it was the one when he had JR a few weeks ago come on talking about his book, The Man in the Black Hats, or Under the Black Hat or something, something like that it's called. I can't remember the exact um, term of it. And um, they were talking about how AEW have stepped away from that micromanaging storyline. And Jericho was loving the fact that he's been able to express himself more um, and whatnot like that. He also was saying how it's great that they've got the fraction, factions, sorry, not fractions, factions going again. Um, yep. Similar to back in the day when you had D, Generation X, you know, NWO, <clears throat> all that, the Nation of Domination, all that sort of stuff. They've got that going on and there's about three they or four different few, groups. They've got a fair few factions in AEW. I can only think of maybe one or two in WWE. Um, there's, there's Seth Rollins with his uh, Monday, Monday Night Messiah on Raw. Um, and the only, the only other one, there was the, the only, one, only other one I could think of was possibly the New Day. And that's about it. I don't think there's any female ones. Yeah, no, and look, uh, one of the biggest uh, criticisms of AEW from um, Jim Cornette's been the women's division, talking about um, storylines and that. And yet again, it's probably a little bit weak, but I think um, Jim's been a bit harsh on it. Um, I think the WWE one's pretty ordinary. Uh, also, too, there's been a couple of recent jump ship as of this week from the WWE. I just can't remember which guys they were. I love, uh, I love what they did with their name. Actually, they were called they were called the Revival. Ah, yes, that's them. <clears throat> they, were called, they were called the Revival in WWE, and um, they've come back with a nickname that's called F- FTR, which is kind of a up yours to WWE. Um, you can imagine imagine with yourself what the FT might stand for. Oh yeah. Um, yes. So it's FT rest is what they F the rest is what they what F they're the trying rest. to what their name is what they're saying it is in AEW. But um, if you look if you read between the lines, um, it's also saying F the revival in a in a very veiled way. So I thought it was quite clever. It, it really is. I think um, we need to move on towards our first break of uh, this podcast. So uh, we'll be back very shortly and we will start the chat with a very special segment when we come back. Huru, until we're back. Welcome back, and we're going to get straight into it again, and we're going on with a new segment that will probably remain as part of our format, and this has come about on the back of that 10-part uh, 
Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. It was recently screened on uh, Netflix. And it's got me thinking, has there ever been as dominant a player in team sport, in American sport, as Michael Jordan? So I'll throw over to Woody, who's got the stats on Jordan. And we'll start with that for a start. Over to you, Woody. Yep. So there's just a few stats on Jordan. A lot of people go on about um, how he came into his own in the in the playoffs and the finals. Um, the stats back that up. He averaged thirty point one points in the regular season through his career, and averaged thirty three point four in the playoffs. As we know, he's six and zero in the finals. Um, six time Finals MVP. 10-time NBA scoring leader, which is a record. Um, 14-time NBA All-Star. Multiple All-NBA teams, All-Defensive teams. There's not much in the game that he hasn't done. He's, there's a reason he's called one of the best, because he was one of the best. Most people would probably argue that he is the best ever, as far as basketball is concerned. Um, as Tim alluded to earlier, he's been as dominant as player as you'll find. But back to Tim's original question of has there been anyone more dominant in any sport? And one person comes to mind off the top of my head and there's a reason they call Wayne Gretzky the great one. Um, he probably did more in hockey than Jordan did in basketball. He, at the time he retired, he held 61 NHL records. Um, as soon as he retired... The NHL retired his number league-wide. Um, when Jordan retired, well, since Jordan's retired, the Bulls have retired number 23 and so is the Miami Heat. No one else has. Um, but the NHL made the decision for every franchise that no one's going to wear 99 again. Um, they immediately inducted him to the Hall of Fame. He's the all-time points leader as far as the NHL goes. For our listeners out there that aren't, familiar with the way that their point system works as far as individual stats go. You score a goal, you're awarded a point. You make an assist, you're awarded a point. So he's all-time leader in goals. He scored 894 goals in his career. The next best was Gordie Howe, who coincidentally was Gretzky's hero growing up. He scored 801 goals, so 93 behind to get to second place. Hey, Woody, just as while you're on that... Just, sorry, just while you're on that one, I'm sorry to interrupt. I shouldn't speak at the top of you. But um, what was the game comparison between those two players? Because I think that's significant as well. How many years did they play as well? Oh, I don't don't know exactly how many years Gordie Howe played, but I've got the stats sitting here in front of me. Gordie Howe played 1,767 games and scored 801 goals. And for Gretzky's 894 goals, he did it in fourteen hundred and eighty-seven games. That's phenomenal. So that's, that's just a massive difference. And then we go over to the assists. Wayne Gretzky has more assists than the second-place points getter has points. That's how much better he's been than anyone else that's played the game. He had nineteen hundred and sixty-three assists. The second player on the all-time points record is Jeremy Jager who only had 1,921 points. So he's got 42 less points than Gretzky had assists. That is just pure dominance from one player. And what was the so game difference um, between those two players? 
Again, Sorry, Jager played Jager played three hundred more games. So yeah. his his points per game record just well above anyone else that's ever played the game. Well, so if you're arguing for for argument's sake, who's the greatest who's the greatest player in NHL? Um, I don't think there's I, there's no cause for debate there. Um, it's a, it's oh, a, no a lot of people. There's a lot of hockey fans that would probably say Mario Lemieux or Mark Messier. They'd throw their names up, but for me, yeah. just looking at the points, for example, it no one comes close to him. He's he won four Stanley Cups as well and was named MVP in two of those series. And he's a nine-time league MVP. He played 19 seasons and won the league MVP nine times. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty impressive. And one of um, the hugest, biggest stories ever in, in, in NHL history was when he left Homeland to go to the LA Kings. It was huge. It was like the Queen visiting LA or the King, whatever. It was massive when he went there. Yeah, there's, not, there's nothing that we can say about Wayne Gretzky that hasn't been said. He's got his list of achievements... <clears throat> is just ridiculous. And that points record that he's got, that'll never be broken. You go back, you look at Jordan's points per game record, the way they're scoring now, that'll be broken. Someone will break that record, I think, with the way that the NBA have forgotten about defence. So, the, so the, okay, the majority of people in the NHL, would it'd be a no-brainer. Gritsky would be the greatest. Also, if you... If you quiz most people about the NBA, they'll say Michael Jordan. They just will. They may not even have anything to back it up. They'll just say it on reflex. Um, in, to- in terms of like greatest sports people of all time, are you saying Gretzky should be at least acknowledged up there with it? I'd have Gretzky over Jordan. I'd soon have a beer with Gretzky than Jordan. Yeah. Well, there's that too, isn't there? <laughs> you know, because greatness is more than just being a gifted, you know, standout player. There's more to greatness and being a great than just that. And as far as I'm that's concerned, why, uh, that's why Muhammad Ali was the greatest, wasn't? Well, that's a whole separate discussion for another episode, maybe. But um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, but yeah, no. As far as look, all I can say is on that um, doco. The Last Dance, it has um, probably given me an even bigger negative attitude towards Jordan as a character. Well, look, there, wasn't much point. That, wasn't, there wasn't much on that doco I hadn't seen before. Um, pretty much the behind-the-scenes stuff. Most of the, most of the doco stuff I've seen, I've seen heaps. Um, yeah, but I, I'm just, a, I was going to say, I'm an arrogant Lakers supporter, so it's the first exposure I've had where I've sat down for that length of time about him. So you're not you're not just adding stats. You're also adding his sort of competitiveness, his desire to win, um, also his brand. No one questions that though. No one questions his competitiveness, his drive, and his will to win. That's well, that's, that's what that's makes him great. Can, well, if you're counting if you're counting all factors though, that's got to be a factor as well, doesn't it? Every great player's got that though. But I think the thing with Jordan and what um, Tim was alluding to, I think he carried those traits off the court as well because he said before the documentary got released that he was worried about how he might come across and if you're worried about that I'd suggest that you're probably concerned that people will find out some truths that maybe you didn't want them to well that's that's what he felt that's what he felt he had to do to make himself as great as he was 
And that's the thing. You say that to make himself as great as he was. You look at, at Wayne Gretzky, for example. He had 1,963 assists. So he, he was about bringing his teammates into the game and sharing the accolades with them. Whereas I think Jordan wanted his teammates to be the best they could to help him win rather than have the team win. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. Yeah, he he wanted those he wanted those championships. He, like, you can't be great without you can't be great without being selfish either at the same time. But I think some people question whether he took it to a whole new level. Well, you can be great and not be selfish in basketball because, in my eyes, the best player I've seen was one of the least selfish players I've seen play, which was Magic Johnson, and he did it with a smile. And he won a fair few. He won a fair few titles himself, didn't he? His, I was going to say his record's not shabby. And <laughs> let's be brutally honest, we could be talking closer comparisons with Jordan if he hadn't have had that little uh, problem called HIV that um, probably prematurely ended his career. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was kind. Of, he was winding up a little bit in his career. He wasn't. He certainly wasn't in his prime in '91. No, but there was still a bit of talk that they could have built another Lakers team around him, though, for one more tilt, though, too. Just to oh, say, he would have been, been, yeah, he would have, he would have been, he would have been good enough. Um, yeah, also, there's also that conversation after the Bulls' second three-peat that they could have gone around again to get a seventh championship as well. I suppose it's, it's tangible. Also, um, Jordan built his brand to be well, basically one of the biggest in the world as well. So well, he's made more so, money post-retirement than he ever did during his yeah, playing career. Yeah, so and I say a global impact on that on that scale as well. I, I believe it's got to be counted too. Can I quote um, Kareem on that one? I don't yeah. think having people working in sweatshops to make shoes makes you great. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't make you great as basketball. It just as a, as a whole. I don't think it makes you as great a, as, a as a person. As a whole, it should be counted in. <laughs> oh, I don't think it makes you great as a person either. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. From a pure sports perspective, though, you need to be able to separate those two. Just recognise the greatness on the court. Um, your personal yeah. opinions can be separated, but as sports fans, I think our best bet is just question their playing ability against others. We touched before on Gretzky, how no one really comes close to him. And Jez said before as well that most people say Jordan's the best. But you'll also get quite a few that'll say Kareem or Wilt Chamberlain or LeBron James. So it's not as clear cut as yeah. with Jordan as it is for Gretzky, I don't think. Yeah. It might be time to move on to another subject. We could probably talk all night about that one because there's that many factors. We can come back to it. I think well I think I think we can revisit those sort of discussions in mm. future episodes. Anyway, um, I believe another sport that's actually been uh, going with no crowds and it's been quite interesting is the UFC. What do you got to say about that, yeah, um, young Woody? I don't think Jeremy's going to have much input here, but um... well, might I, might I, might I put out that uh, that Gage Gage sort of landed Ferguson with a few punches early, and uh, Ferguson got one good uppercut in, but pretty much Gage pretty much. Uh, Dominated the bout, and by, by the end, it was a fair, it was a fair decision by the fifth round. Um, he he just got him, he just got him with. 
I think he got more hits in. They probably weren't as hard as when Ferguson hit him, but he got he got more hits in, and by the end, he'd hit him so much that um, Ferguson was just starting to start to uh, start to tilt her a bit. I think that's a fair point. Um, the first two rounds were closer than I think a lot of people actually remember, just because of how one-sided rounds three, four, and five were. But you're right, Ferguson hit Gaethje with an uppercut, a huge uppercut at the end of one of the rounds with only a couple of seconds to go. Um, it dropped Gaethje straight away, and the bell definitely gave him the time to recover that he needed because he would could have been in trouble there. Um, the thing that hurt Ferguson, though, um, he he doesn't have much of a defence and he's quite easy to hit. And Gagey hits a lot harder than most other blokes in the division. And rounds three, four and five, Gagey just came into his own and just kept hitting Ferguson with bomb after bomb after bomb. Did you catch the fight, Tim? Yeah, no, I certainly did. And I sort of felt um, that uppercut that... Um... Ferguson hit Gaethje. If they had have had, you know, say 30 seconds more on the clock, we probably would have had a different result because Ferguson would have absolutely gone in for the kill. But that was probably the only highlight he had for the fight, in my opinion. But one thing he did prove, and I don't care what anyone says, he is one tough SOB. Like, the punishment he took and he just kept coming and kept coming, call it stupidity, call it what you want. That guy is one tough SOB. Oh, look. Even though he, he didn't win it, he got stopped in the end. I tell you what, he is a he is a fighter and 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 good spirited too. But I also feel that he may have been affected a little bit by the second weight cut in what was it like four weeks because of the dehydration. And I think I'm not saying that would have changed the result, but I do think it probably made him a less sharp fighter for the whole fight. I think it played a factor in the later rounds more mm. than anything else because he he. He probably lost both rounds one and two, except for maybe the round where he dropped Gaethje late. You could possibly give that to him. But I still think Gaethje had better of most of the exchanges. But he was out on his feet into round four and five. But he took massive amounts of punishment. And that's why he's a fan favourite too, because he can dish out punishment, as we've seen um, in the last few years. Because I think he won 14 straight fights. And he just brings the pace... And he just throws with volume. But as we've seen with Gaethje, he can eat some bombs too. And he just keeps coming forward as well. He's a fan favourite because of that because you know you're going to get action every time he steps into the octagon. Yeah, I still he's still susceptible though because um, Ferguson did get him with a ripper uppercut as we know. But uh, moving on, um, the Cruz fight was an early stoppage. What... What's going on there? Was it a fair stoppage? Was it um, ridiculous? What was going on? Uh, from the layperson's perspective, yep, I saw the umpire. Oh, oh, sorry, I referee saw, Jeremy. I saw referee. referee. <laughs> I saw the referee jumping on him, and because the referee's jumping on him, he probably couldn't get up. <laughs> he was probably trying to, but the referee would, the referee just jumped on him. I'm not, I'm not sure how it works in USC, but uh, obviously the referee thought it might have been nearly over anyway. But uh, he ended up jumping on him and then calling the fight after after a big knee to the head. I think it did stop it. It was the right decision. Um, if you've seen a lot of stuff on social media and whatever, there was three three points that people brought up. They said um, 
Cruz wasn't actually knocked out, so the ref shouldn't have stopped the fight. Well, that's not a rule. The ref has the authority to stop a fight to save a fighter from punishment. And I'll get on to how much punishment I thought Cruz took later. But the other one was um, there was only a few seconds left in the round. So he should have let it go. Again, that's irrelevant. Whether it's in the first three seconds or the last three seconds and the ref thinks the fight is in trouble, he should stop it. And the other one was, oh, you should have let him go because it's a title fight. Again, no bearing on anything. The rules are the same, regardless of a belt being on the line or not, and regardless of how long's left in the round or how long's gone in the round. As far as the stoppage itself goes, um, Cejudo hit Cruz flush with a big knee, dropped him straight away, and Cruz was sprawled out on the ground, and he... He ate about 10 or 11 punches again after that. So there's 12 unanswered strikes that the referee has seen Cruz take. He had every right to stop that. Do you believe that uh, Cruz could have stood up? That's what he was saying at the end. Of course he's going to say that. Every fighter would say that. Another thing Cruz said after the fight as well was, oh, I told the referee to let me go out and not stop it if I'm not out. Every fighter says that to the referee in the in the warm-up area, but the referee's job, first and foremost, is to protect the fighters. If he thinks the fighter's taking too much damage or can't protect himself, it's his job to step in. And I think Herb Dean was the ref, or I think he did it and judged it perfectly. The referee has a duty of care to both fighters. That's the bottom line. That's his yeah. job, to be the duty of care in the ring. Obviously, obviously, Cerudo retired. Um, can you enlighten me what they do with that belt now? Do they, does he take it with them and they just cast a new one and throw it open? Oh, they'll they'll schedule a matchup for the vacant belt, but I'm not convinced that Cerudo is actually retired because I actually, I think that was the last fight of his contract as well. So that just gives him a bit of leverage for his next contract. He says, I'm retired. If you want me to come back, make it worth me while. Oh, it could be, could be a less is more type of thing. So I'll go, I'll go away for about six months or so. But if you're pining to get me back, I might sign for X amount. Yep. And it, it's a business first. The fighters have to treat themselves as a business. And I think that's what Cejudo is doing. Cool. And as far as, as far as referees' decisions go with stoppages and everything else, um, there's one one decision last week that I don't think you agreed with, Tim. Yeah, the Hill fight. Um, I felt I felt um, the first round went to um, how do we pronounce her name again? Claudia Galhaya, I think. Yeah, well, we'll call call her Claudia or Claudia, whatever. Um, she clearly won the first round ten nine. She got a couple. Of, she got a takedown, whatnot like that. No dispute there. But in the second round, I felt Hill got ripped even though she won the round. She opened up um, Claudia. She um, set her on her buttocks once, I think might have been, definitely once, maybe even later in the round as well. I thought she could have been given it a 10-8. All refs gave it to a 10-9. In the third round, I wouldn't have been surprised if they called her the draw. That's how close I thought the third round was. So I sort of agree with one judge where she won by a point, even though they didn't. They scored a winning the last round. But the other two judges gave it to Claudia. 
and she won it by a point overall in a split decision. Um, but I really felt for Hill. I thought she got ripped. So that's something for you to have a look at, Woody, when you have a chance to watch the fight. I actually believe Hill yeah, won it. I haven't seen that fight in full, but um, there was another decision as well on the UFC 249 card that baffled me. It also baffled Anthony Pettis as well, and he was awarded the win. Um, it was actually a pretty decent fight, to be honest, which we would have expected with Pettis and Cowboy anyway. Um, the thing for Cowboy too, this means he's got four losses in a row. Um, I actually thought it was a pretty easy fight to judge. I thought you had a clear winner in each round. Um, for me, Cowboy clearly won round one, 10, nine, and then Pettis won the second round, 10, nine, and then Cowboy won the third, 10, nine. And, um, yeah, after the fight, they're doing the announcements of the winners. Bruce Buffer calls the winner by decision. I think that was a split decision as well. Anthony Pettis. And yep. he looked around at his corner and he's like, are they serious? Did I? And then when Joe Rogan interviews him after the fight, Rogan said to him, oh, how do you feel about that? And he goes, oh, they said I won, so I'll take it. Mm. And fighters generally know if they've won or lost the fight by decision. And yeah. Pettis was absolutely surprised and baffled that they somehow awarded it to him. Yeah, I nearly needed a new TV because um, when I heard the result, I just about threw the remote through the screen. Um, I thought it was that obvious that Cowboy won it. Um, oh, it was a horrible decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, just quickly before we move on to the next um, subject that we're going to discuss, um, no crowds. How's that working, do you think, for the UFC? In a few words. I think it's good as a novelty. Um, the crowds, as with any sport, the crowd creates the atmosphere. Um, the thing that I've liked about it from a fight fan perspective, and a lot of people would probably agree with me, is you can actually hear the instructions from the corner, which gives you a bit of an insight into the strategy. And when the guys land the big shots, you can hear the crack, which to me, that's exciting. Oh, especially with the heavyweights. Um, that... Um... Overeem and um, Wilt, Walt Harris. Walt Harris, sorry, that's right. Um, fight some of those shots. Jeez, unbelievable. All right, so look, we've covered a bit of UFC this episode. It's time to do another segment. It's going to be a regular one, I think, which is when the three brains trusts that are involved here put out a prediction that we can be absolutely caned for on social media if it doesn't come true or we can be congratulated and put on a pedestal. So I'll throw to Woody because this subject, this subject matter is actually his little idea he came up with for the, uh, our podcast. So Woody, you want to throw out your prediction and we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Yeah, first I'll just throw out a little disclaimer for the listeners out there. Now we, we do ourselves up a running sheet and have, have things planned and do a bit of research for every segment. Um, but for this one, we're going to make a prediction each. Um, we haven't told the others about our prediction, so their reactions could be mixed. Um, so we'll just throw out a prediction, and it can be a future prediction or an immediate prediction about a result the coming weekend. But I'm going to forecast a little bit and move to the NFL and say that I think the Cleveland Browns will make the playoffs and Baker Mayfield will throw for 33 touchdowns. 
Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, have a right, little chuckle to himself. <laughs> all right. All right. Woody, um, what's your real prediction? No, no, that's it. That's it. Just oh, okay. All right. I was, just, I was just checking. I was, uh, I was just wondering if you weren't taking the piss or not. Yeah. Oh, are you compose yourself. Friends? Compose yourself. Stop laughing. And uh, right. <laughs> give us yours. No, no, no. No, I, I, I want to hear Tim's first. Well, I'm still um, still toying with mine, but my, my prediction is, all right, the EPL will return. They will play at least seven of the last nine games. Liverpool will drop four games, but still win the title because of that far in front. But my prediction is that that fourth spot will go to... Who do you think, guys? You're going to say United. Glory, glory, man. United. Yep, they're going to steal fourth spot. Would you call that a prediction, though? Oh, it's a prediction. Oh, it's a prediction. I would call it, I would call it wishful thinking. <laughs> well, we will see. I don't know that I call it a prediction. I call it something. Um, <laughs> we haven't heard from you yet, Mouth. What do you got to say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to the NBA here. Yep. And I'm going to say, Matt, I reckon... Lakers and Clippers possibly will be playing off in the last round of the of the season, and more than likely the NBA will probably help get it there. Okay, and how will they help get it there? Is my question for you. Well, they have ways and means of doing it. Would it be not dissimilar to when the Lakers got the number one draft pick a few years ago? Well, that that or uh, that or when. Um, when LeBron snitched on Draymond Green in the 2016 finals and got his, got him suspended for a game, but uh, I could go on all day about that. Uh, there you go. Well, there you go, people. Have a when you're listening to this lovely podcast we've put together, you can actually comment on social media about our predictions. And how can they reach us, Woody? Well, there's a couple of ways. We've got the email, mpopodcast at gmail.com. If you've got questions or ideas, throw them through that way. You can find us on Twitter at npopodcast. Um, we've been putting up a bit more content on there, which is good, and having some engagement with some other, other people, which is all right. And we've just recently made ourselves a Facebook page as well, which is NPO Sports Podcast. So you can give us some feedback, ideas, and banter on there. And can I also point out on our Twitter account, for all you wrestling fans out there, and I know this man's lost a lot of credibility in the wrestling world, but Vince Russo follows us. So that's that's a, a bit of a bonus. A bit of yeah, a... That's a good, good start. Well, it's good a start. start. We might have started at the bottom, but we started. You know what I mean? Well, that's what it comes into. I wonder if we can get, uh, <laughs> wonder if we can get Jim Cornette to start following us as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. I, I don't know, but I don't think Jim. Would, I don't think Jim would on the on the fact that we have been through so following this. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm alluding to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, guys, we've got that time of the episode where it's time to say hooroo. Just a couple of little uh, plugs to put in. I'll just give um, Josh Watson, our editor, another plug, and Zaggy too, the music artist for our music that's provided on each episode. Other oh, than that, wonderful music. Oh, wonderful! It is. It's it's stupendous. Um, so basically, we'll be back at you probably in three to four weeks' time with another pod. Hopefully, a lot more 
uh, live sport to comment on. So um, until then, guys, the two-roo from me. Take care. Thanks, guys. See you later. Two-roo.